and welcome to episode 39 of the Story Not Forgotten podcast. We are brought to you by Capturing Legacies, because everyone has a story to tell, and it's time to tell yours. Visit CapturingLegacies.com to get started. My name is Liam Rathgaber, partner and anthologist with Capturing Legacies, as well as your host. And joining me today is an entrepreneur who has a business helping photographers to grow their photography businesses. And he's also joining us from about as far away as is humanly possible from Australia and from tomorrow morning, Mr. Michael Sterling. Michael, thank you for joining us. Hi, Liam. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, because we do what we do without any ado, why don't you tell us a story? Awesome. So just to get started, I'm going to give a little bit of backstory of what was happening before the actual one. And the actual story is actually about how I've been able to move to one of the most expensive cities in the world, uh, London in the UK, without knowing anybody, with having just 300 pounds in my pocket, which was absolutely nothing uh, for London prices. Yeah. So a little bit of a backstory. I am from a small country in Europe, uh, which is called Lithuania. And I've actually, before I moved to London, I was studying in the US and University of Massachusetts. And somebody was, it was like a scholarship that I had, which was like a private scholarship by a private company. And about a year into it, they actually went bust and they stopped paying for <laughs> my scholarship. And unfortunately being from not the, you know, not the richest family, uh, we were doing well, but my family would not be able to afford to obviously have me study in the U S and paying these high, uh, these high fees that they have for education. Um, I had to come back. I had to actually, um, stop like drop out of college, uh, about a year in and I had to go back home and not knowing what to do, not knowing what was going to happen and already having that mindset that I'm kind of like an expat. I want to go places and I want to explore the world. So I come back home and it's literally nothing has changed. Like, you know, I've been already a year abroad. I feel different than what I used to be. I, I see everybody the same that they used to be, same kind of, I'm going to stay here and maybe like have a good job and just, you know, raise, maybe spend time with family and friends and not do anything spectacular about their lives. And I was really feeling kind of like I was missing out on something. And I was thinking that, look, like I just came back and nothing has changed here and I want to do something different. I don't want to stay here. I really like uh, the world where they speak English as <laughs> a language. I don't know why, but it's just like my feelings, you know? So I was at home and I remember this day when I was like, okay, I, like, I cannot stay here. I have to move. And I was thinking to myself, like, where can I move? Because the thing is, I was only speaking, um, I was not speaking German. I was not speaking French. The only 
language that I could speak apart from my native one was English. So at that stage with the European Union and everything, it was, I uh, had three choices. So it was either UK, Ireland, or Malta. <laughs> so I chose UK and I chose London as kind of a base for uh, my first kind of getting out there. So, so I remember that day when I decided that I'm going to do this and I had like, I literally had about three, 300 pounds in my pocket, which is probably about, um, like four, 450 us dollars. Mm-hmm. And, and I knew that London was going to be expensive, but I just decided it. And I was going to be like, I'm just going to wing it. Like I've done this. I moved to a country before I was in the U S so I had a confidence, I had a bit of confidence to myself and I decided to do it. I bought the one way ticket, uh, from my hometown to London and it was a week away from when I was going. So I bought the ticket just a week away <laughs> from when I was actually going to travel. And it was crazy. Like I did it on the motions and I decided to do it. And then about, and I told my family and they told me I was crazy. My dad was like, you're crazy. You cannot move to like one of the most expensive places. You need to have at least 10,000 on you to even be able to move somewhere like that. And I was just like, no, like, I don't want to stay here. So that's, that, that was the decision that happened. And, and then I, I was quite excited at first. And then about, uh, like two days before I was going to travel, it kind of hit me. I was literally like, Oh my God, like it this suddenly becomes go. real. <laughs> yeah. It's literally, I was like, I was thinking to myself, Oh my God, this, this is, this is, this could really go wrong. <laughs> so basically it kind of hit me, but then I was like, okay, I already bought the ticket. I already decided, I told everybody I might as well go through with it. Yeah. So the day when I was traveling came and I said bye to everybody and obviously it was very emotional. And then I boarded the plane and I went to the new country. Like I said, I didn't know anybody had no connections. I had like, 300 pounds in my pocket. I uh, didn't even have a college degree to get a good job <laughs> or anything like that. Absolutely nothing. Jumped on the plane, arrived in London, got amazed at their accent because I remember I was in the shop, literally in the in Heathrow airport uh, where I arrived. And it was just fascinating. Their British accent, these ladies for selling the, the SIM cards for your mobile phone. And it was just mm-hmm. amazing because I've never been to the UK. So I didn't know um, how thick of an accent they could have or what their accent would really turn out like. And it was, it was, it was pretty thick. Some of them. <laughs> so, so yeah, so I was there. So I bought my SIM. I went to where I was going to stay for about a week. Um, which was a really cheap place and uh, like a rundown places in, uh, in London at the time. So I arrived in the city and when I first arrived, it just seemed so big, even a little bit intimidating, I would say. And it, because it's so massive, there's so much going on around there. Everybody just looks like they're okay with this chaos and, it, it was crazy. 
Yeah, so I arrived and the first thing I thought of, okay, I don't have that much money. I need to get a job like right now. So I went out there and I started thinking about, okay, where do I find a job? So started going to uh, restaurants and pubs and like hostels, just asking them like, do you have any job openings, anything like that? And I found this one place, uh, which is a hostel in uh, central London. Uh, it is more on like on the west when on the west side of central London. And I found this hostel, and they told me they were looking for a nighttime receptionist mm-hmm. uh, slash kind of like security, I guess. <laughs> uh, and. And I thought to myself, oh my God, this is going to be such a hard job because I've never worked at that stage. I've never really worked like a full-time job. And I was like, I was very active, but I never worked in a place like that. I had no idea how to work in any hospitality or anything like that. Uh, but, but they were going to offer me a chance to actually start like the next day. And they told me that they were going to pay weekly, which was actually something that I needed because the money was running out. Well, yeah, so London, thought, 300 pounds might last you a week. Yes, it is. It is absolutely nuts. It's so expensive. And so I decided to take it. So I took this job as a working as a nighttime receptionist. It, it was really hard because it was the time when like, it's really night. Like it's not something like 8 PM until 4 AM and maybe you arrive at home at five and you can still kind of have a sleeping pattern. No, it was 11. It was 11 PM until 7 AM. So it was the night mm-hmm. literally. Um, so I took that job and I started working for the place and the owner was the a typical English guy, wanted me to work hard, was like really low wage, absolutely horrible at nighttime job. Uh, they were also like, they were also like, we're looking at what I was doing because in London they have this thing in the UK, especially they have this thing when a lot of places have cameras inside Mm-hmm. Uh, especially because, and some of the owners he even like check what you're doing or might like check on you. And it's, it seems kind of creepy a little bit, but, <laughs> you know, but that, that's what they do basically. So he was checking what I was doing and like every day he would come, uh, when I was coming to work, he would probably be leaving already just after, you know, an owner, he doesn't really need to work. He's got managers uh, he was just having a few pints and then he was telling me what I should do better. And I was like, okay, sure, fine. Like I'm going to do this. Um, and uh, the job was like absolutely horrible. Like the things I had to do there, I don't even want to talk about, <laughs> but, um, but it was something, you know, it was something to get me through that initial stage and just have some money to rent a place to live. And, and survive really at that stage because I didn't know anybody, like I said. And then I, and then what happened was I was working there for about a month and they, they started paying me. And for that month, I'd like, I really hated it after about, after the first payment that I got, 
I started really hating it because they started pressing on me <laughs> and it, it was just, it was just going bad. And I was thinking to myself, like, how do I quit this job? Like they're not, so they were paying me, um, kind of like, uh, in an envelope cash, but they were paying me, uh, but they were paying tax. They were paying tax. Uh, but, uh, they were paying me like, uh, in the cash payments. I don't know what that means, but, but they were paying all the taxes for me. Like it was, it was sorted out. So it was not something like a league or anything, uh, just for any policymakers out there. Uh, <laughs> but, but basically they were paying me cash. Right. And there was not, um, I was, I was very kind of cautious about it because I was like, okay, I want to quit this job, but I want to get paid for the time that I work there. Because if I tell them tomorrow, Hey, I'm not coming back. Chances are they might be a little bit funny about it. <laughs> and I was literally thinking to myself, how do I quit this job? A week goes by. I'm still thinking like, how do I quit this job? I hate it so much. Like literally. And then one morning, and I remember this morning, like it was yesterday, it was actually, uh, there was a, one manager, uh, which was one of the senior managers there. And he was doing a shift from after mine. So he was always coming in the morning and he came that morning. And I remember thinking to myself, like the whole night, how do I quit this job? I really hate it. He comes to me and he says, Michael, we need to have a chat. And I was like, okay, yeah, let's have a chat. And he tells me, we've been thinking about this and we think it's better if you don't work here anymore. And well, I was works. like, <laughs> I was like, okay, sure. And he was like, obviously, look, obviously you understand this is out of nowhere. You're going to get paid for everything. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, yes, this is the best thing that happened. Literally, I remember this morning, he told me like every morning they would have like a breakfast that they laid out for the guests and I would be able to have some breakfast before I go. He told me, look, so today was going to be your last day. You don't need to come anymore. You can just come in the week's time to get your, all of your wages and it's all good. You can have some breakfast as well as I do understand this is bad news for you. And I was like, oh, yes. This, this is absolutely horrible. Like, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have some breakfast. And I remember that day and I had some breakfast and I walked outside. It was kind of a warm morning in London, which happens very rarely. Uh, but in the, ho and the hostel is located actually near Hyde Park. So I went into the Hyde Park and I saw the sunrise and it was like the most beautiful morning ever. <laughs> I just got, I just got rid of the job that I hated. They're going to pay me. I'm in this new city with all the amazing opportunities. And the, the sun was literally rising in the Hyde Park and it was just beautiful. It was like one of the best mornings I've ever had <laughs> in my life. And it, it was just great. So after that, um, I kind of took that money and I had a little bit and I rented a place and I got together and I got another job and in a restaurant, uh, it, w it was a better job. They were paying me more decent money and yeah, I took it from there, but this was the initial part that I wanted to talk about was this job that I hated and it kind of turned out well for me. 
and uh, to move here. But it, it was really hard because I didn't know anybody. And I had so much, so little money uh, that I had to sleep in uh, very, uh, not, not, the great, not the greatest places in London. And it was, it was something that I did that I, like, I was kind of 50-50. I was going to do it. I was actually going to wing it. Uh, but I did it and it turned out well. And I've actually, like right now I'm on vacation, but I was living, I've been living in London for about, uh, three and a half years now. And it's, it's just, it turned out well. And I've got a beautiful fiance now and we're, we're starting a great family and I've got this business that I've got and it's going great. But just for anybody out there, I wanted, I wanted this story to be kind of an inspiration that even though, you know, I, I didn't have my first language was not English. I didn't know anybody and I had very little money and I've been able to move to one of the most expensive cities on earth. So I wanted this story to serve kind of an inspiration to anybody out there listening. And because it just, you can do anything as long as you put your effort into it, you believe in it and you don't let anything stop you. You don't, you don't uh, have any excuses. You just go with it and you're going to make it happen. That's all I wanted to say. for today. <laughs> Well, and that's definitely a good lesson to learn that push through. I mean, I, I've told several people that, you know, to date you've survived a hundred percent of the bad things that have happened to you. So, Tell us about this business that you've started. Okay. So I've started my own company, which we, which is called uh, Michael Sterling marketing. And what we actually do is we help a wide range of photographers, uh, starting from small family and portraits all the way to high production, uh, and high end commercial and editorial photographers. And what we really concentrate on is helping them to get more jobs, to get more of the high paid jobs in the industry right now, because, uh, photography industry is really kind of eroded by people who are unprofessional and just, uh, doing pictures with their phones, which is absolutely fine. However, a lot of photographers are struggling right now. So what we do is we actually help them with, uh, putting their brand and their name out there. And we kind of take it by case by case, uh, because at the end of the day, what works for commercial photographers does not work for weddings photographers and might not work for portrait photographers. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's kind of in a nutshell, what we do, we help them, uh, get their name out there. So more people know about them, they get more jobs, they, they get financially free and they can, they can do better things with their life really is what the mission is. And are you working primarily with photographers in the UK or is this something online that you're working with the entire world? So we work with photographers worldwide, mainly our actually main people that we work with are located in the U S we've got, uh, quite a few on East coast. So we've got a few in Chicago, uh, one in Atlanta, in Georgia, uh, like I said, a few in Chicago, some in Colorado. Uh, so they're mostly they're from the U S I've been talking to a few Canadian ones. 
I don't work that with that many of the UK photographers just because the market is a little bit smaller and the marketing is different out here. But mostly we work with uh, North American photographers who would like to get their brand and their name out there and uh, basically get their photography to the next level in terms of clientele and in terms of their business. And where can people find you? Uh, people can check out my website at uh, michaelsterling.co or they can just Google Michael Sterling Marketing and I will come up. <laughs> and we will also make sure to have the links to that in the, uh, in the liner notes for the show. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that sounds great. Okay, Michael. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, to join us today and for sharing your story. Absolutely. It was an absolute pleasure, Liam. I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have. If you did, head over to iTunes, the Google Play Store, or your favorite podcasting source and hit that subscribe button so that you never miss a future show. While you're there, we would absolutely love it if you could take a moment to leave us a rating or a review, because the more of those that we have, the higher will appear in search results, allowing us to find more guests and bring more stories to more of you. If you have a story that you would like to feature on the show, drop me a line. You can reach me at liam at capturinglegacies.com or look for Capturing Legacies or the A Story Not Forgotten podcast all over social media. And until next time, remember, everybody has a story to tell. It's time to tell yours. Mm-hmm.